you would please stand with me for the reading of this morning's text. We are in Ezra chapter 9 this morning. I'll be reading the first four verses. Ezra chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. Hear the word of the Lord. Now when these things were done, the princes came to me saying, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abominations, even of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites and the Ammonites and the Moabites and the Egyptians, and the Amorites, for they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the hand of the princes and rulers have been chief in this trespass. And when I heard this thing, I rent my garment and my mantle, and I plucked off the hair of my head and of my beard and sat down astonished. Then were assembled unto me every one that trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the transgression of those that had been carried away. And I sat astonished until the evening sacrifice. Let's pray. Father, we come to you again this morning as your people. We come to your word. We come to the very words that you have given us. You have spoken them. You have written them down in this book. You have engraved them upon our hearts. Lord, we cannot escape your word. We know it is true, and we know it endures forever. And Lord, we pray today that through the reading and the preaching and the hearing of your word, that you will increase our faith and that you will help us to believe and that we will trust in your word alone for all of life. We pray this morning for the ministry of your word and the ministry of your spirit to move in and among us, to lead us into all truths, comfort our hearts, and to make us more and more like Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Last night during family worship, I sort of made a comment and was chuckling that I didn't think in today's sermon that we were going to get um, anything from the book of Ephesians, which I tend to get in every sermon. And this morning as I was praying and thinking through this sermon, uh, something that has been pressing on me through the week came to my mind, and it caused me to do a little rewriting And um, it is this, uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 
19 through 21, we read this, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And the thing that is really forefront in my mind in this particular passage is the idea of uh, speaking to ourselves, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I've always wondered what that means. <laughs> what, what does it mean to sing, to speak to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? And as I was thinking on it this morning, I but there, there are themes in the passage that we have before us today. And the Lord has given us songs to remind us of these themes. And we here at Providence, we sing a lot of psalms, and I think that is good and right. Because these psalms tell the stories that we need to know. They tell the stories that are there to remind us of who we are. I don't know if you've noticed this before, but you can read through section after section of Scripture and sometimes it just bounces off your forehead and doesn't really sink in. But when we sing the Psalms, we sing those songs, those concepts get buried deep in our brains and in our hearts. So with that being said, I'd like to encourage you to turn with me to Psalm 106. Before I start reading, something I would like to point out about Psalm 106 is much like, much like the story we are dealing with with Ezra and how it has a pattern that is similar to the covenant renewal worship that we do here, um, this psalm also carries that same pattern. I want to read the first few verses here. It says, Praise ye the Lord. O give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can show forth all His praise? Blessed are they that keep judgment, and he that does righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, with the favor that thou bearest unto thy people. O visit me with thy salvation, that I may see the good of thy chosen, that I may rejoice in the gladness of thy nation, that I may glory with thine inheritance. See, this is... This is how we start our worship service, right? We start by praising the Lord. If you'll remember when we left off in Ezra chapter 8, this is where they were. They were worshiping the Lord. They had been delivered miraculously from Babylon to Jerusalem. They had arrived safely. They had all the stuff. The Lord gave them rest. And then they worshiped the Lord and their sacrifice and their worship was pleasing to the Lord. 
But as you know, this is the Israelites we're reading about. And their story is to remind us of who we are. Now maybe, maybe some of you kept reading when I stopped at verse 5 because what we see in verse 6 says, we have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. You and I marvel at the stories of the Old Testament, right? God delivers the children of Israel out of Egypt by signs and wonders, and His mighty hand is evident, right? He splits the Red Sea. They walk through on dry land. He rained plagues down upon Egypt, the like that the world has never seen. And then in about 10 minutes, they gather up the jewelry and out pops this calf that led us out of Egypt. And the next thing you know, they're partying well, frankly, they're partying naked before the Lord. And we shake our heads and we say, how could they do that? How do they not know that it was the Lord Jehovah that delivered them out of Egypt and not this idol that they formed with their hands? The rest of Psalm 106 goes on to tell story after story of the Israelites falling into sin. And if you pick up about verse 34, it says, They did not destroy the nations concerning whom the Lord commanded them, but were mingled among the heathen and learned their works, and they served their idols, which were a snare unto them. Yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils, and shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and of their daughters, whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. Thus they were defiled with their own works, and went a-whoring with their own inventions. Therefore was the wrath of the Lord kindled against His people, insomuch that He abhorred His own inheritance. And He gave them into the hand of the heathen, and they hated them that ruled over them. And their enemies oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their hand, under the hand of their enemies." This is what happened to the children of Israel. This is how they ended up in Babylon. These are not lightweight sins 
that we're talking about. And yet, Ezra arrives in Jerusalem and he begins to teach the leaders and the rulers and the priests and the Levites. And a few months go by and it is brought to Ezra's attention that the people of Israel and the priest and the Levites that's pretty much everybody, isn't it? The priests, the Levites, and the people. The leaders and the laity. Word is brought to Ezra. And he says, and he is told that the people have not separated themselves from the people of the lands. He is told that the Israelites and the priests and the Levites are doing according to the abominations of the people of the land. Those who were delivered out of Babylon by the Lord's mighty hand, by Him changing the heart of the king, by Him miraculously delivering them back to Jerusalem, these people with their temple and their sacrifices and the word of Moses. They have fallen back into their old ways. And they are doing according to the abominations of the people of the land. This is a really long, ugly list. There are sexual sins across the board. There's sodomy. There's temple prostitution. There is all manner of unspeakable sexual sin that goes along with this. We've already read that they were, they were passing their, their daughters and their sons through the fire. They were going to those who practiced witchcraft, soothsayers, those who interpreted Omens, sorcerers, those who conjured up spells, who were mediums, who were spiritists, who called up the dead. Those abominations. How do you get from being delivered by the hand of Almighty God very evidently so that you can see it? There is no doubt that it's only the Lord Himself who could have done it. He brought you back into the land. He raised the temple. You're sacrificing. And this is the behavior that comes out of them.
we see in this passage that the beginning of this problem is that they were marrying amongst the people of the land. The Israelites, when they got back to Jerusalem, they began to take for themselves foreign wives. Now this is where it gets a little confusing because it doesn't tell us exactly who is doing this. It says Israel is doing it with the priests and the Levites and that the leaders are chief in this sin. But are we to think that it's the people who came back the first time, some 80 years before, that have fallen into this sin? Very likely. What about those who returned with Ezra? They've only been here a few months, right? Surely it couldn't be talking about them. But we know from their history. We know from their history the condition of their heart. This is God's chosen people. He has called them to Himself. He has made covenant with them. They have said, we will do all the words of your law. But see, they have family issues, don't they? You see, they are descended from Adam and Eve. They are descended from those who went into the land and didn't obey the Lord and didn't clear the land of all the people who lived there. And this sin became a generational sin for them. It tripped them up time after time. For they took wives of the land. They took wives for their sons from among the land. They gave their daughters to those who were from the land. They adopted the practice, the worship, the worldview, the culture of the people of the land. So it doesn't clearly tell us here, but in my mind, you have the people who came back first, they are guilty, they have foreign wives. The people who came back with Ezra, they've been interacting with their family who's already in Jerusalem, and because of the hardness of their hearts, if they haven't actually already committed this sin, they are sure thinking about it. It is the desire of their heart. What's even more amazing is, according to the prophet Malachi, it is very likely that for many of these Israelites, they didn't just show up at Jerusalem single and then marry a foreign wife. No, in Malachi chapter 2, 
there is language there that suggests that when the Israelites got back to Jerusalem, that their lust overwhelmed them and that they divorced their wives that they brought with them. And then they married the daughters of the land. We are told that they dealt treacherously against the wives of their youth. See, when we come to this story, when we come to a story like this, you know, I want to I bring you to a place where you remember a really bad experience, okay? Has anyone here ever been, there's a couple different ways this can happen. Um, the classic way is you get punched in the gut. Another way is that you can fall in a certain way, or maybe you even run into something or someone and have the wind knocked out of you. Anyone ever been there? It's horrible, isn't it? It's a horrifying experience. For what seems like an eternity, you begin to panic. You begin to wonder, am I ever going to take a breath again? Or am I going to die right here, right now, unable to breathe? And when we come to a passage like this, we should feel that gut punch. The wind should flow out of us abruptly, and we should begin to sweat, and we should begin to panic, and we should be in distress. And we should begin to think, oh Lord, am I going to die like this? For you and I have the same problem that these Israelites have. We have a family problem. You and I are also descended from Adam and Eve. Who came to God's word. And doubted it. They had God's word and they said, you know what? We, we know better. They believed the lie that was presented to them and said, okay, yeah, we, we understand what God said, but we really want this thing over here and surely that's good, right? And professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And so when we come to a passage like this, we have to ask ourselves, how am I doing this? How does my life look just like the lives of the people in this passage? And I can hear you now, you're saying, oh, come on, Evans. I haven't, I haven't married an unbeliever. I've never sacrificed my children to idols. I've never made them pass through the fire. So this is 
where I ask you men, you ever lusted after another woman? Have you ever been tempted, even if it's just in your mind? Have you even played this scenario out of somehow loosing yourself from your current wife and going another way? You may have even been shocked after the thought went through your head, like, where did that come from? How did that show up in my head? And then, maybe later you go back to the thought. Ladies have the same issues. Ladies, have you ever caught yourself longing for another man because he's more organized? He seems to be a better leader. Maybe he speaks more kindly. Maybe he's more thoughtful. And out of your lack of contentment for your current husband, even if only for a brief moment, you entertain the thought of more would it be like. We look at these sins and we say, wow, these are, these are big, heavy-duty sins. Marrying unbelievers and taking up the abominations of the heathen. And then we run across another list that talks about abominations and we think, oh, that sounds way more like me. A proud look. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift to run to evil. A false witness who speaks lies. Or one who sows discord among the brethren. We live in a culture where most of these are winked at. Most of these are even articulated as virtues, a proud look. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. We have people cheering this in our nation today. And you and I have to understand, we have to come face to face with the ugliness that you and I are both prone to desire this. We even tend to look lightly on sin. We don't understand that when we sin, when we commit these abominations, 
that we are taking ourselves, God has, God has taken His people and separated them out. And when we fall into these sins, we are trying to find our way back to Egypt. We are trying to find our way back to Babylon. We are letting our lust consume us and drive us back to the abominations of the land. This is the gut punch. Because you and I are prone to sin just like this. So that's pretty heavy. Now we need to figure out, okay, so we have this tendency. We may even sin like this. We may have even sinned like this this morning. Okay, Evans, what are we supposed to do? What does the passage tell us that we're supposed to do? How do we get out of this trap? We see it in the order of our worship. We see it in the story of Ezra. We see it in Psalm 106. There is a way that we respond as God's people. Do you see it in verse 3? Ezra says, And when I heard this thing, I rent my garment and my mantle, and I plucked off the hair of my head and of my beard. And I sat down astonished. Now, I don't know about any of you. You may have ripped a garment at some point, so you kind of know what kind of force that takes. And maybe even some of you at one point have, you know, shaved your head in mourning. Ezra pulled his hair out by the roots. He pulled the hair of his beard out by the roots. He stripped himself as one who was naked and he humiliated himself. He was mourning. He was disgusted. He was in distress. He knew that the wages of sin were death. He knew that his people were in trouble. The very thing that had gotten them into trouble in Jerusalem in the first place, that had landed them in Babylon, was now alive and well in the camp. And he was mourning the death. I can't imagine pulling my hair out. I have had grandchildren get a hold of my beard. It's cute up to a point. And then the tears. 
Brothers and sisters, is this how we respond to sin in the camp? Is this how you and I respond to our own sin or the sins of those who we are in covenant with together, those who sit in the pews with us? Is this how we respond? Or do we wink and think it is a light thing? The Lord knows. And I'm not saying it has to be a show like this. It's interesting that Ezra doesn't say anything. But his actions thunder through the community. Everybody knows what Ezra has done. He is completely undone. He is a mess to look at. I'm sorry, I can't help it, but I... If you're plucking your hair out by the roots, I'm thinking he's a bloody mess. And how do the people respond? Do you see that in verse 4? They come around. And those who tremble at the word of God, those who are trembling, because of the transgression of the people. Do you see this? The whole community is undone. Where are the woes when you need them? They know that judgment could fall at any minute. Do you understand most of the abominations that I mentioned, most of the sins that I mentioned are capital crimes? We have a story in the Old Testament in um, Numbers 25 where an Israelite brings a harlot into the camp from, from the land and he is, he, oh, he is, does he have a proud look or what? He brings a harlot into the camp like it's okay. And he takes her into his tent. And the wrath falls on the children of Israel. And one of them finally gets it. They understand and they go get a sword or a javelin or something. And he rushes into the tent and he kills them both on the spot. And it says the Lord's wrath was assuaged. Was it 24,000 people died that day because of the sin? Do we tremble at God's word? God's word says don't intermingle with the people of the land. Do we respect that? Do we fear that? Do we understand that we need to be evaluating our life? That, okay, yeah, you may not be marrying a foreign wife, but what are you doing? What are you doing that the land and the world loves and you are bringing it into your own heart or into your own house or into the heart of your children?
They were afraid. They had sin in the camp. There's a long list in chapter 10 of those who were guilty. It's pretty much everybody. So what do we do? What is the answer? For starters, as always, it always comes down to this. It always comes down to how do we deal with God's Word? What has He told us? Psalm 119 is all about the beauty and the glory and the righteousness of God's law. But it tells us that rivers of water run down mine eyes because they keep not thy law. Later it says, I beheld the transgressors and was grieved because they kept not thy word. We come to God's word very lightly. Do we take it serious enough? I want you to ask yourself, when was the last time you were reading through God's word and you became convicted of a sin and you felt that gut punch? You thought maybe you were going to have to go throw up. Do we tremble in grief and distress and disgust at the death that comes into our camp because of sin? I want to make the argument here that this is, this is what it looks like to be a believer, a follower of Jesus, one who has been called out. This is the very nature of our call. When the Lord calls us, He calls us out of darkness and into light. The darkness of the world the death, the lies, the deception into the life and the light and the beauty and the glory of God's Word. We are told to come out from among them, to be separate, to not touch the unclean thing. And the Lord says, if you do that, I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and my daughters. Come out from among them, and touch not the unclean thing. Last night, sitting at the dining room table, sorry Samuel, I'm going to point you out here. Samuel is currently trying to speed read through the Bible in how long? Four weeks? 
So he's like, all right, Dad. So I just listened to the book of Leviticus in its entirety. What am I supposed to get from the book of Leviticus? He said, there's a lot of crazy stuff in there, and there is, right? It's really this, Samuel. Come out from among them and be separate. And touch not the unclean thing. When you're reading through all that in the Old Testament that we just scratch our head and we say, we don't understand what all this means. It means don't be like that. Don't be like them. I have a way for you to live. And it's not like that. You can find it in the Word. You are to love your enemies. You are to love your neighbor. Brothers, you are to love your wives. Ladies, you are to love your husband and your children. We are told to lay down our lives and to love others. The world is telling us that everybody else needs to lay down their lives to serve you. But we have been called to be separate. When God makes covenant with us, so by call, we have been made separate. We have been made holy. We have been made peculiar. And by covenant... God comes to us and he says, I will be a God to you and to your children. You are going to be my holy nation. You are going to be different. I will be your God and you will be my people. If you obey me, I will bless you. And for those who come against you, I will destroy them. This is what it means to live in covenant with God. He is for us and he is against them, which is why there's the warning, don't be like them. When the wrath falls, you better look like God's people. And I hope you understand I'm not just talking about the way you're dressing, okay? I'm not not talking about the way you're dressing. See, God very clearly tells us, he says, you are a chosen generation. You, right here. You are a chosen generation. A kingly priesthood. A holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You see, in times past, you were not a people. But now, you have been made the people of God. See, those people have not obtained God's mercy. But you, the peculiar people, the holy nation, you have obtained God's mercy. 
It has been granted to you. It has been gifted to you. You possess God's mercy. Amen? Why is that so important? Why is it so important that you have His mercy? Because we sin just like the people in this story. And we deserve death. Ezra knew the death penalty was due. He knew God's law. That's why he's ripping himself to pieces. He is mourning the death of God's people. Every week, by confession, we come into this house. We come with our sins. We come with our struggles. We come with our joy. We come with our praises. And every week, every week, every week, we sit down at the Lord's table. And we proclaim His death. We proclaim what has happened to assuage God's wrath from His people. Jesus came and died, shed His blood, and was resurrected for you so that that mercy would be upon you. And every week we come to this table and we eat of that sacrifice and we drink of that blood, we proclaim that He died for us. Not quite every week, but often. Appreciated James's prayer this morning about the children in our midst. Often we bring our children to the waters of baptism. And it's the same thing, right? We are making a confession. We are making a profession. We are saying, Lord, look, we know we are a sinful people, but your word says you have called us out and your mercy has been applied to us. And when we baptize our children, we are making that confession. We are making that profession. And God is saying to us and to the one being baptized, right before your eyes, my mercy is upon you. By this water you are washed clean. You are made holy. You are made my people. The Westminster Confession, chapter 27 of the Sacraments, section 1, says this. Sacraments are holy signs and seals of the covenant of grace. Immediately instituted by God to represent Christ. To represent Christ and His benefits. And to confirm our interest in Him. And also, here it comes, to put a visible difference between those that belong unto the church and the rest of the world. 
to put a visible difference between those that belong unto the church and the rest of the world, and solemnly to engage them to the service of God in Christ according to his word. Folks, people think we are strange. We don't sleep in on Sunday morning. We don't schedule our day around the football games, but we get up and we have breakfast and we have to find the shoes, and then we come to church and we sit at this table. We do this weird thing that the world doesn't understand. We eat and drink of Jesus Christ. And it sets us apart. They think we are strange and we don't know how we would get through the week without it. You see how that works? You are a holy people. You are set apart. You have been separated out unto Christ. All right, just a couple more thoughts. I'm running long here. But it's only 1040, right? I've got another hour. So what, right? What does all this mean? In 1 Peter, we read this. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that it is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, you know better, right? So did the Israelites. They knew better. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That means in your whole life. Everything about you. Your thoughts, your actions, everything. He which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Brothers and sisters, you are called to look like Jesus. You are called to act like Jesus. You are called to talk like Jesus. You are called to think like Jesus. And even the passage that I just read there says that the grace will be brought to you in the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is how you do this. It's not of your own strength. We are imitators of Christ. He puts His Word and His Spirit in us and we try to toddle along behind Him. All right, so the, the end of Psalm 106. Are you still there? Or have you turned somewhere else? The end of Psalm 106. This is how it goes. Many times did he deliver them. 
But they provoked him with their counsel and were brought low for their iniquity. Nevertheless, he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry. See, when Ezra pulled off his clothes and he ripped out his hair and he sat disgusted. And those in the camp trembled in fear and they gathered around him and they silently mourned the sin in the camp and they silently cried out to their Lord. Verse 45 says, He remembered His covenant and repented according to the multitude of His mercy. He made them also to be pitied for all those that carried them captive. Here's the cry, brothers and sisters. When we find ourselves in this situation, whether we are the ones who have sinned or whether we're Ezra, save us, O Lord our God. That's it. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the heathen to give thanks unto thy holy name and to triumph in thy praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. The Lord hears our cry. He sees us through his mercies. He's, his pity is upon us as a good father and we cry to Him, save us, O Lord God, and gather us from among the heathen. And He does. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And the psalm says, and let all the people say, Amen. Praise ye the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, it is a hard thing when your word brings us face to face with our own hearts, with our old flesh, with the lust that we still war with daily. Lord, we cry out to you, who can save us from this old man? Who can save us from this body of death? Oh Lord, who can save us from our sins? For we are unclean and we are undone and we throw ourselves at your feet and upon your mercy. And thanks be to God, we see in your word that you hear our cries. That it is you who have made us sensitive to our sin. You have allowed us to see our sin 
and we cry out to you to save us. And all this is done through your mercy and your grace. You have given us a new spirit. You have created in us a new heart. And this enables us to cry out to you, Father, and say, Oh, deliver us, Lord. Save us out of all of our sins and all of our troubles. Lord, we plead for your steadfast love and mercy and grace that be upon us, your people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.